Welcome to Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Tholis. I'm joined by my co-host, Brittany Bookbinder. As we reported in our last episode, Robert Durst, the defense, the prosecution, and members of the jury returned to the courtroom on Thursday, October 14th for the sentencing hearing following Durst's conviction for the murder of Susan Berman. In part two of our coverage of this hearing, we're going to present excerpts from the victim impact statements delivered by members of Susan Berman's family. We'll also examine Judge Mark Wyndham's sentence for Robert Durst for the murder of Susan Berman. That's coming up after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. After Judge Wyndham denied the motion by the defense for a new trial, he invited members of Susan Berman's family to address the court, starting with Denny Marcus, a second cousin to Susan Berman. The people uh, wish to present statements from Susan Berman's family? Yes, Your Honor. The first, there's four total, and the first uh, speaker will be Denny Marcus, D-E-N-I-M-A-R-C-U-S. All right. Uh, thank you. Denny Marcus may come forward. As Marcus approached the table, Judge Wyndham instructed her to address her comments to the court directly. Good afternoon, I'm Ms. Marcus, and she's accompanied by... My son, Tommy Marcus. All right, Ms. Marcus, good, good afternoon. I'm glad that you could be here today. And uh, I want you to know, just there are some ground rules. And this is a time for you to address me about about what happened and, and uh, how this may have affected you. This is not an opportunity for you to speak to Mr. Durst. Please direct your comments to me and not to the defendant, Mr. Durst, if you will. You may proceed. Marcus, standing alongside her adult son, proceeded to speak about her undying affection for Berman and her decision to not feel hatred toward the man who murdered her. Um, where do I begin? I was robbed, and my beautiful son was robbed, of an absolutely extraordinary, unforgettable, brilliant person whose life was savagely taken from her at 55 when she had many years ahead. And she and I discussed, she was more, much more like a sister. She lived with my family. She was orphaned at 13. And I didn't even know she wasn't my sister until I was six. And my parents explained that she went to boarding school because. She was under the guardianship of other people, and she would spend all the holidays with us. But she was unforgettable. She took me on madcap adventures. All of my friends and close ones knew her as her alter ego, Auntie Mame. And she had so much love, and she was so valuable. She, her, her value as a human being is, is just priceless. And the fact that we were all robbed of the, the additional... 30 or 40 years that she definitely had left to do some things and she was a loyal fabulous friend uh and she kept trying and she never gave up even when life became quite dire and uh she lost all of her money and 
and people that she loved and trusted and gave the money to were, you know, nowhere to be found the last seven years. We spoke mostly every day. And when I have had challenges over the years, wonderful, honey, but being a single mother is um, I always go to, what would Susie tell me to focus on? How would she help me pull myself up and out? She had a very colorful life, and she shared it with me. I've shared it with this guy here. This guy here never, he, he, he lost her at four, but she always, she always told him she was his Aunt Susie, and she was prideful about it. She always entered the room boisterously and loudly with that wonderful high-pitched voice and her beautiful signature look with the shiny black hair and the bangs and the black eyeshadow and the lipstick. She's, I, I, can, I can see her clear as day. And I know she's here. <laughs> I know she's, she's, she's got her hand right here. She's on my shoulder. And she knows that I would do anything for her in this world or beyond it. And I just, I just love her. And I also want to say that hate was never in my wheelhouse or hers. And for that reason, I will never hate Bobby because she loved him. And I will just live with it, with the memory, and have that as a big part of it because hate cannot enter my life no matter what. And she made sure that I always knew no matter what, hate serves no purpose. And it's what, what, what occurred, and the reason that she's not here, and why beautiful, sweet Kathy that I met very young and saw her transition into somebody angry and frightened, um, just really shows me that the, the, the unnecessariness of this is the biggest loss to all of us. And I'm, I'm sorry for the McCormick's as well. I know that they're in pain. and and. And I just want to say that all of us that knew and loved her um, were benefited and are benefited from having her as part of our lives. And she's still a part, a big part of mine. Thank you. And Thomas. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Next, the court heard an emotional reflection from Davy Berman, the son of Susan's beloved uncle, Chickie Berman, and the namesake of Susan's notorious gangster father. Davy Berman. Davey Berman, thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Berman. Uh, welcome to our court. First, I want to thank the judge, the jury, the prosecution for the due diligence and sticking with it for such a long trial. And uh, this morning, I went. <laughs> Excuse me. Take your time. It's okay. I visited her and told her she could rest easy. Uh, the justice has been done. She just got to know my daughters. They had, she had never met them, in, but she had written a couple of letters to them. And uh, I, I, her and I always had a special bond. And uh, I'd like to say I talked to her and told her she could rest. And I'd like, can I say something I'd like 
durst to do? You may say what you wish as long as you address it to me. I'll address to you. He should let us know where Kathy's body is so her family can get some closure. And that's probably it. Thank you, Mr. Berman, for sharing your comments. After Davy Berman sat down, his daughter Grace addressed the court. Again, to reiterate, thank you to everyone that has been involved and for your determination and your um, unbelievable strength throughout this process. I will miss Susie, I will miss her phone calls, and I will miss her letters nonstop explaining to go forth and to be strong especially in the business world. She was very educational and very smart in that area. If I ever had a question or something stumped me, she would always have the answer for me. She was a phone call away. She gave Bobby half of his life of freedom. And that came at a cost of her life. In life, he tortured her when she was alive, mentally, emotionally, and financially on a daily basis. When she decided to go on her, get on with her life, that was just too much to bear. And unfortunately, a beautiful person had to take the brunt of that. Whether it was right or wrong, that is what happened. You don't get to just pack up your toys and go home when you're done playing with someone to the tune of murder. I don't expect ill will. Matter of fact, I would like Bobby to live many, many years to be on record for the longest living predator ever. And with each breath between, from right now on, when you breathe in, you will hear Susan. When you exhale, you will hear Berman. And the ringing in your ears may never stop. Again, I thank you, and we will miss her. I appreciate that. Thank you. Finally, Sarab Kaufman, the son of Susan Berman's former partner, Paul Kaufman, rose to address the court. Kaufman, like his sister Mella, considered Susan to be his mother, and it was Sarab who provided the Jinx producers with the envelope of a letter that Robert Durst sent to Berman that the filmmakers compared to the handwriting and misspelling on the so-called cadaver note envelope. Finally, we have Sarab Kaufman. Hello, Your Honor, and thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak today. The question we are meant to tell you about here what Robert Durst's actions have cost us, and what would be an appropriate sentence. It's very strange and almost impossible to contemplate, much less describe how I feel and what this has cost me in my life. What would my life have been if Robert Durst hadn't murdered my mother? The truth is I can't tell you what life would have been if she hadn't been murdered. It's so long ago, and this has been so all-consuming, I can't remember the details of my previous desires, hopes, wishes, or plans much less tell you how they all would have or could have turned out. All I can say is at 47, I'm still in the same type of job, never advanced, no wife, no children, and almost no family because of what Robert Durst has done. 
the absolute chaos that my mother, the murder of my mother turned my life into is beyond description. I was in my mid-twenties then, finally feeling like I was getting on my feet in life and did so with Susan's help and support. At a time when her life was becoming more difficult and desperate, she always had time and interest to help me. I should have been working for a career I could be proud of, finding love, getting married, and having children. Instead, I was forced to pay for memorials and bills that were not mine or planned for. Having to spend what time I could manage to not be in tears or feel the hopelessness of going on another day, filing for death certificates, paying for probate lawyers. The countless meetings and conversations you have to have with people you never wanted to meet, much less deal with. To spend days and months at the house where she had been murdered, her dried blood and matted hair at your feet, broken up only by the bloody paw prints of her dogs. And you have to be there to pack up her belongings and boxes and find a place to keep them in your 400 square foot no bedroom apartment. The list of time and money and pain expended from big to little truly go on for 21 years and will into the future. I have no desire to tell you what life has been. I only wish to tell you a little of the Susan Berman I knew. There's so much that has been said, truths and half-truths, half-lies and outright, bold-faced, self-serving lies about Susan and not just by Robert Durst. I wouldn't know where to start or how, to take, how not to take days to articulate them all or how they've added to my anger and frustration. Without Robert Durst in her life, Susan would have been thought of as a true and fiercely loyal friend, putting their needs above her own and always available when you need it. Someone with a fascinating and tragic history, alone in the world by the time she was 13. Eccentric, vivacious, and generous to a fault. Often needy and phobic, a force of nature, but extremely smart and witty. A hardworking, creative, talented, and complicated person with a lust for life of which the world needs more of, especially these days. This is who Susan Berman was. Robert Durst took those wonderful traits and twisted, exploited, and abused them. So for the last many decades, my mother's memory has also been twisted and abused. Hearing from Susan's friends and family, you never hear of her acting lazy or exploitive. She was not conniving, not a gold digger, not taking advantage of others for her own gain. Despite the description of Susan in the media and in this trial, and except for the most technical of realities, Susan was not a mob princess, doling out mob morality and edicts. Because of Robert Durst and because of her deep love and sense of protection for her family, she made a mistake. She did something that helped one, but contributed to the pain of many, because of Robert Durst. While the last decades have been a deeper education of the person I knew, and I've learned many things, I can tell you the worst flaw Susan had. She had horrible taste in men, with a few exceptions of which I count myself among. My mother was flawed, to be sure, but she was loving and committed, and I lost the only person in my life that has ever made me feel that way. Our statements today are meant to be a description of what we have lost because of Robert Durst. I've lost everything many times over because of him. Family, friends, romances, jobs, investments, health, and sanity. However, I feel I need to speak for some that won't, aren't, or can't speak today, but affect me almost as deeply. What Robert Durst's actions have cost my sister, Mella, beyond the obvious. She and Susan had a falling out before her death. It was a fight, a bad fight, and I know they both hurt the other deeply. But it was just a fight mothers and daughters have. Robert Durst stole their opportunity to reconcile, to forgive one another and reunite in the loving relationship they both worked so hard to have. 
Susan can't meet Mella's children who won't experience the profound love she would have bestowed upon them or feel the love of grandchildren in return. Mella's feelings, stuck, Mella's feelings about Susan stuck in their last interaction of pain, hurt, and resentment because of Robert Durst. In turn, Bob, the damage you did has fractured my relationship with my sister in ways I don't think it will ever recover from, which make us both alone in the world more than we should have to be. Kathy, Susan, Morris are gone. Gone in the most horrific ways imaginable. Vanished, executed, dismembered, gone. Your wife, your best friend, your neighbor, gone. Susan may be, be, Susan may be the most important person to me personally, but they've all affected me. You are done, except for a few remaining details we all know what happened. The belief that you have that has allowed you to continue to lie in the face of morality, ethics, to the face of the judge and jury, because what do you have to lose at this point is over. I hope in your final days and hours you will come to the same understanding and give the McCormicks what little they are asking for, to find Kathy, to lay her to rest appropriately, finally, and at long last. This is the most important question that still haunts us, but I know the McCormicks most of all is the one and only thing you have to give of any real value or ability to sway any opinion of you. The final analysis of anyone's life comes from what they leave behind. Actions and how we are remembered are the only real legacy we have. Not the lies, not the words, but the actions. You know your actions. We know your actions. Your legacy is nothing but that of a small, warped, insignificant child throwing murderous tantrums. However, in telling where Kathy is, perhaps you can find some small redemption in an act of humanity. You have murdered the only people who, were ever, you, were, who you were ever able to inspire to love you. You took them for granted and abused their love. More than 10 years ago, I received an end to one of the haunting questions that tortures me daily. Who murdered my mother? I was fortunate, if fortunate is what you can call it, to finally solve what happened to my mother and in turn, Kathy and Morris. I was able to lay Susan to rest and know where to find her. I can't imagine the pain of 40 years of not knowing. So I ask this on behalf of Kathy and the McCormicks and in Susan's memory. I ask for what small and I'm sure insignificant apology I can offer to the McCormicks on Susan's behalf for the part she played in their continued pain. I ask this in Susan's memory and on behalf of a part of you I tr hope truly doesn't want to be seen as the monster you are seen as now. There's no amount of money you can pay and no amount of good deeds you can do to make up for what you've already done. Any hope you have, any hope of any kind of redemption you can find is in letting them know where to find Kathy. I don't know if I feel, really feel like justice is being served today or even can be. Robert Durst was born into a life of luxury and had every option in life, every opportunity, choice after choice. He has been able to do what he wants for almost 78 years but that wasn't enough for him. The great wealth of his family wasn't enough for him to not steal from others. The unlimited opportunities he had were, not, were, used, only to, were used only in the most self-serving ways. The ease, the ease of his life never colored with humility, decency, or charity. His wealth and luxury were used exclusively to serve his darkest selfishness. We are speaking, Your Honor, so that you can get a glimpse at what Robert Durst's actions have done to us so that you can come up with a proper and fair sentence. But what sentence could be fair? He has lived his life of luxury and freedom. I can't imagine proper recompense. There's no good deed he can do or time he can serve even if he had another hundred years of life left. 
The scales of justice can never be balanced. For whatever time he has left, he will live cared for, paid for by all of us, until he dies, most likely in bed, as comfortable as we can make him, as an enlightened society. Yes, he deserves the verdict of guilty, and yes, the, and the absolute maximum sentence the law can issue. Yes, it is just. Yes, it is correct. And yes, it is about time. But I don't know what sentence you can deliver that would feel like justice. Another reason for our statements is so that Robert Durst might get a sense, a sense or feel in some small way our pain. However, Bob is a sociopath and narcissist in the extreme, and I've known many, my father among them. And rule number one is you do not let the narcissist know that they or how they have affected you. So what is the point but to add to our already insurmountable pain and grief whose articulation will only serve to satisfy him? I, we, or sorry, we, I am here because of our losses because of you, Bob. The people we loved and everything that went with them, we lost because of you. You didn't just murder Kathy or Morris or Susan. You also murdered me. You murdered the person I was, all his dreams and all his hopes gone. He no longer exists. I am a whisper, a wraith of who I once was. My mother's murder and the events of the last 40 years will never leave me. You satisfied, Bob? In conclusion, to this court, all the members of the prosecution, the jury, and the other victims who have spoken, have yet to, and who can't speak. To all our loved ones here and departed, I love and thank you for the, this opportunity, but especially to Susan, my mother, whom I owe everything to. I love and miss you every day. Thank you, Mr. Kaufman. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before Judge Wyndham issued his sentence, Deputy DA John Lewin clarified what the evidence showed to be Susan Berman's involvement in the cover-up of Kathy Durst's murder. He then urged Robert Durst to give Kathy's family some small amount of closure. Your Honor, I understand that um, this is a sentence that is life without the possibility of parole. I think it's important that it be understood that in putting on this trial, it involved flawed people. It involved flawed victims and flawed witnesses. And in presenting the evidence that we presented regarding what Susan Berman did, and the evidence is very clear that she certainly assisted Bob Durst with covering up the killing of his wife. But first, I think it's important to understand that very likely, and the evidence would suggest, that Susan Berman did not cover up what was described to her as a murder. Susan Berman, very likely, as she said to one of her close friends who testified at trial, 
Bob Durst likely said to her that this was some kind of accident. False, not true. And Susan Berman, loving Bob, believing Bob, trusting Bob, and wanting to believe and trust him, decided to help. So I think it's important that although we needed to understand as lawyers and as jurors what Susan had done, the idea that she knowingly covered up a murder. I've spent a lot of years looking at all the evidence in this case. There is nothing that leads me to believe that Susan Berman was knowingly doing that. In the end, she made the mistake that many other people did in Bob Durst's life. They believed him, and she believed him. And all we can hope, Your Honor, is that in listening to the passionate statements of the people that he's hurt, that maybe he says to himself, you know what, I'm old, and I don't know how much time I have left, and I want to actually do something selfless. I want to do the right thing and admit what happened with Kathy, what he did with her. But until and unless he decides that he's willing to actually say what happened, no one will have the answers. There's very little he can do for anyone now. So I'm hoping, Your Honor, that maybe today, maybe we'll get some answers that we haven't gotten so far. Again, I want to thank the court for everything it's done and for this trial. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Lund. At that point, Judge Wyndham invited the defense to speak on behalf of their client. However, they once again declined to address the court, stating instead their client's plan to appeal the verdict. Will there be any uh, statements in mitigation? No, Your Honor. <clears throat> we uh, intend to appeal. Will there be an allocution by the defendant? No, Your Honor. He's welcome to, to do that. Despite repeated calls for Robert Durst to offer new information about the death of his wife, Kathy, Durst declined to address the court. In fact, contrary to his typical demeanor, Durst appeared disengaged during the hearing, slumped in his wheelchair, head back, eyes cast down. Other than a few concerned glances toward the prosecution and a brief exchange with his attorneys, he remained in this posture until the very end of the hearing, when he sat up, removed his face mask, and began to breathe with apparent difficulty. Two days later, as we reported, Durst was placed on a ventilator after testing positive for COVID-19. Judge Wyndham then issued his sentence. As Susan Berman's family has reminded us and described for us in a, a way that we couldn't have known without them addressing this court, Susan Berman was an extraordinary human being. I personally wish I could have known her. I feel I got to know her uh, vicariously far too late and under terrible circumstances, but she was an extraordinary human being. And killing her was a terrible loss to our community. This is indeed a horrific crime. This crime was a witness killing and a circumstance of that crime was the denial of justice to the McCormick family. And they suffered terribly due to Kathy's killing and saw her maligned and denied justice. 
And that's because the killing of Susan Berman foreclosed any chance of vindication. It's a witness-killing circumstance, and the witness who was killed was Susan Berman. So that circumstance of the crime is a special circumstance which, in this case, as in any other witness killing, but in this case perhaps more than other witness killings, was a, a tremendously aggravated and, and awful, disturbing crime. Courts read and considered the probation and sentence report, <coughs> and uh, has considered the statements of uh, witnesses, uh, statements of counsel. Courts aware of the facts and circumstances of the crime. As to count one, the first degree murder of Susan Berman with a special circumstance of intentional killing of a witness pursuant to 190.2A10 of the Penal Code. It's the judgment and sentence of this court, Mr. Durst, that you be imprisoned in the state prison for the term prescribed by law, that is, life in prison, without the possibility of parole. As to the special allegation that the defendant intentionally killed Susan Berman by means of lying in wait, as described in 190.2A15 of the Penal Code, the same sentence is imposed and stayed pursuant to Section 654 of the Penal Code. As to the allegation that the defendant personally and intentionally used a firearm in the commission of this offense, causing great bodily injury and death, Pursuant to 12022.53D of the California Penal Code, the court imposes a term of 25 years to life in prison, consecutive sentence for the allegations under section 12022.53B and C are stayed pursuant to section 654. The court will impose the maximum restitution fund fine of $10,000 court operations assessment of $40 and $30 facilities fee. As to victim restitution, Mr. Lewin, Mr. Balian, is there a claim under 1202.4 of the Penal Code? Uh, Your Honor, originally we were informed by the victim's family members that there was no restitution. However, in uh, hearing Sarah today, uh, it dawned on me that perhaps he incurred some memorial fees. So I inquired again of him and he said potentially, however, never receipts, etc. Can we just reserve jurisdiction on restitution? Perhaps counsel said he would waive defendant's appearance to need for a future hearing, um, and we can settle it uh, at a future date if necessary. Mr. Chesnoff? Yeah, what I said to Mr. Bellion, uh, out of consideration to uh, Sarah and to Mr. Bellion, as we would absolutely discuss with him the issue, and if we had to come back, we could waive Mr. Durst's presence and discuss whatever we need to discuss with the court. Or perhaps work it out by situation. Will he waive his appearance now? Yes. Well, can I explain it? Yes, explain you it take a moment. Yeah. I believe I heard him say yes, but let me be clear. Mr. Yeah. Durst, you have a right to be present at any restitution hearing. You uh, waive and give up that right to be present. And allow your attorneys to appear in your, in your place. Yeah. He's waived his appearance. 
Mr. Durst, you have a right to appeal from this sentence. If you wish to appeal, you must file a written notice of appeal with the clerk of this court within 60 days from today. If you appeal and you're unable to hire a lawyer, the appellate court will appoint a lawyer to represent you on appeal at no cost to you. Is there anything further from the parties? No, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. Finally, Judge Wyndham thanked the jury one last time for their part in this extraordinary trial and addressed the families of the victims, including the members of Susan Berman's family who by statute had the opportunity to speak on behalf of the victim in this case, and members of Kathy McCormick's family, to whom the statute does not afford such an opportunity, remarking on the painful bond they share. Once again, I'm grateful to our jurors. <laughs> Justice uh, could not be done uh, in this case. We could not have had a resolution one, one way or another without, without you being here and giving so much, giving so generously of your time and of your lives to participate in this. My gratitude is endless to you. I'm so grateful to you. And uh, to the uh, attorneys, it's been uh, an enormous privilege to, to behold the presentations you have made. Obviously, uh, it's a rare occasion for a judge to be able to hear such an extraordinary uh, case, an ex extraordinary presentation by a counsel. You, in each in your own way, <coughs> impressed me with phenomenal, unbelievably wonderful work. So thank, thank you for your, for your hard work. <coughs> Again, to the families, um, it was very important for me to, to hear from you, and I, I know I did not hear from the McCormick family, but I am, I am aware of, of uh, the disappointment you've felt and the heartbreak you've suffered, and I know that the members of Susan Berman's family also spoke to that heartbreak which you shared. You have that, that bond, and I, I, I just wish you peace, peace going forward from this. Um, event from this trial. And with that, Judge Wyndham rang his bell, which had served as a moment of zen at the end of each day of the trial one last time. Very well. Defendant Robert Durst is committed to the custody of the sheriff for delivery to the Department of Corrections forthwith. Department 81 is adjourned. Joining us now to discuss the Durst sentencing hearing, as always, is Charlie Bagley, who's been covering the trial and the Durst story for The New York Times and for CrimeStory.com. Welcome back, Charlie. Hey, thank you. So, Charlie, what were your thoughts first on the motion for a new trial that the defense put forward in that hearing? The motion itself seemed kind of perfunctory. You know, it, it went through uh, many of the issues that had been litigated in the course of pretrial hearings and the trial itself. And so I, I just never thought it had a chance with the judge who had ruled on these issues not once, but in some cases two or three times. Yeah, I, I agree. Although it was interesting in that I think it prompted the judge to be much more expansive than he ever has been because he has the benefit of having a verdict from a jury in hand about his opinions about the case, about the credibility of the defendant. And so I think as an observer of this spectacle all these months, it was interesting to finally hear Wyndham telling us what he was really thinking. 
I think you're right, actually, that he rebutted their arguments in a pretty eloquent way. So sometimes you had wished in the course of the trial that you had one of those clarifying statements that finally came at the sentencing hearing. Let's move on to talk about the victim's impact statements that we heard. Which were the statements that struck you the most acutely, Charlie? I got to say, it's hard to imagine you know, for Susan's family, how they've grappled with this for the last 21 years. And I found the most compelling, the most poignant statements to come from Davy Berman, Susan's cousin. Susan had lived with Davy's family in Idaho after her father died. And that's where she first got encouragement for her writing from a high school teacher. Davy knew her well. Davy's father was her father's brother and was the guy that tried to guide her in those years after her father died when she was just a teenager. And then Denny Marcus was was also close to Susan. And I think it was Susan's custom to visit her on Christmas Day. I might be mistaken, but I think the way Denny found out that Susan was dead was when she called to find out why Susan hadn't shown up. Brittany, what jumped out at you in those victim impact statements? I agree with Charlie that Davy Berman's victim impact statement was probably the emotional highlight of the hearing. And I felt as we talked about when when Mello was on the stand, how in those moments, and with Denny Marcus as well, it really felt like Susan was kind of there in the room. We got a sense of who she was as a person. And Sarah mentioned this in his statement as well, that over the course of the trial, there were things that were said about Susan that may or may not have resonated with people who actually knew her. And jumping ahead just a little bit, I thought it was very interesting that John Lewin then came in afterward to clarify Susan's involvement in the cover-up of Kathy's death to say that she probably wasn't aware that that's what she was doing. She really was just helping a friend and and that she had trusted him and, and that was a mistake. You know, there's one other point I'd like to make about Davy Berman. I think despite his grief, he also recognized that there were other victims of the violence wreaked by Bob Durst. And uh, he made mention of that when he sort of addressed Durst and, and asked him to at least tell Kathy McCormick's family what happened to Kathy. Before we move on from this, Carrie, would you like to talk about your thoughts on Sarab's statement? I think Sarab's a complicated character in this story. I gleaned from his statement a great deal of regret. Because after Susan was killed, Sarah, as I understand it, accepted a lot of money from Bob. And obviously, he didn't believe, wasn't aware, and ultimately didn't want to believe that Bob could have done this and accepted it as an act of generosity. But then in retrospect, particularly after having provided the envelope that caught Bob out in having written the cadaver note. I'm sure his feelings about it were very, very complicated. And you could feel that anguish and those complications in his statement. I thought, whereas Denny Marcus and Davy Berman particularly were just emotional pleas of people who 
just sincerely loved Susan. I thought Sarab's was much more complicated. At the end, when he moved beyond his own anguish and focused on asking Durst to give the McCormick family some comfort, I thought that was the moment where his statement really took on some power. Let's move on to talk about the events after the sentence, which we all essentially knew was coming. Charlie, what are you hearing? Well, it was the day after sentencing. Bob tested positive for COVID and was taken to the hospital. Once that was out in the open, it became very difficult to find out exactly what his condition is. And and that continues to today. I think that Bob and his wife are in the process of getting a new roster of lawyers that will help him both with the appeal of his sentence in California, as well as to deal with what looks to be a possible indictment for Kathy's murder in New York. And what was the affidavit that we heard about earlier in the week that was filed by Joe Becerra? We know that the Westchester District Attorney has been bringing witnesses in to the grand jury for a period of time now. Last Tuesday, Joe Becerra, the the state police investigator, who had gotten the case reopened back in 2000, filed a complaint in a tiny little courthouse in Lewisboro, and it was a complaint charging him with murder. The complaint, however, had almost no information in it and just referred to the files of the state police, the Westchester District Attorney, and the Los Angeles District Attorney. And I I think the concern there was that Bob might die before he could be indicted in Westchester. So they wanted to lay down a a, a placeholder. I'm just curious, do you know if if he is indicted and he is healthy enough, would they pull him out of prison in Los Angeles to stand trial in New York? In my cynical heart, I, I don't think Westchester believes that there ever will be a, a trial. But it raises the idea that Bob would be transferred from the California prison system to a state prison system in New York. Therefore, it would be the Westchester taxpayers who are responsible for keeping Bob alive. Well, Charlie, Brittany, thanks again for being with us this week. And we're looking forward in the coming weeks to a piece from Charlie about the Galveston jury in Robert Durst's trial for the murder of Morris Black. And that piece will be a sort of table setter for our conversation with one of the jurors in Robert Durst's trial for the murder of Susan Berman. So stay tuned to Jury Duty, the trial of Robert Durst, for all of that and more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, 
Please remember that you can receive alerts and news breaks on developments in Robert Durst's murder trial, as well as new episodes of Season 2 of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, by subscribing now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to refresh your memory on where the prosecution and defense are heading with their arguments in the trial, go back and re-listen to episodes from Season 1, and head over to CrimeStory.com for in-depth coverage of the Durst story. Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst, is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. This episode was written and edited by yours truly, Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced by Alexis Bartolo and Brittany Bookbinder. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Robert Durst.